that's what I want to talk about today is, is hope. And, and, you know, even the name of our church, City of Hope Church, our youth program is, is Hope Youth. This project that we're doing is, is um, Project Hope. And the, that word alone has just been in my heart for a while. And, and I think Clay laid a good foundation, but w- what I desire is, is something active and something real. When I see people, when I see you guys and I see my friends, my family, I want people to have something inside of them that brings them past anything that we'll ever go through here on this earth in terms of all the negative. Something, something real that we can hold on to. Not just this idea or a cute story or a cute message or anything else, but something real and something tangible. Now, as I was thinking about hope, I began to think about you know, my own life and I began to think about other folks' life and, and, and how we process what we go through. Now, it's no secret that over the past few years, it seems as if the world is not really getting better. Um, I think if you were to ask anybody, the general consensus would be that there's just like a darkness that's kind of there, that things are kind of going in a negative direction. I mean, we're, we're at a point really in our country where evil, it's not just there. Evil's everywhere, right? But evil now is celebrated. And if you, if you stand for anything good, anything lawful, you're, it, it's, it's the wrong thing in society's eyes. And so we're at a real unique place, and it doesn't seem very good. And then we have also the things that we face in our own life. Uh, we go through, re- I mean, hear these testimonies. There's some really hard times that people go through. And so how do we process these things? And generally speaking, I think we, we tend to have kind of a couple of views. I want to do, I, I got a couple things this morning. This is a little personality test. I hope everybody can see this. But if you were to look at this bottle, what would you conclude? I got good teacher wait time. What? Uh, yeah. What, okay. What'd you say, Kaylee? It's half full. Some of y'all were like, "Man, he's about to run out of water." So given the same exact set of data, if you will, the same, everyone's looking at the same bottle, same amount of water. Some of you said glass half full, some of you say glass half empty, right? And we, so this is pessimism and optimism, and we all know some of these folks that are alive. I remember back in college, a good friend of mine, Jonathan Gibson, some of you guys know him here. He's the most bubbly, alive, hopeful, energetic guy that I know probably. You could go him and tell him anything. The worst news that you can ever imagine. And he would, you would leave feeling like there's a way out. Like this is going to be better. And then there's some folks that are just a little bit pessimistic. My grandfather, God rest his soul. I don't think I have met or ever will meet a more pessimistic person. And I'm going to have a good story about him here in just a few minutes. But if you wanted the absolute worst possible case scenario in your life, you go to him. I remember just even simple things like, Papa, we're going to go to the movies. You're messing up, son. <laughs> you messing up. I remember one time we had like a co-ed softball team. And I was like gathering some stuff up. I was like, we're going to go play softball over here, Papa. He's like, son, you're going to get yourself killed. <laughs> it's dangerous. So you can imagine what the conversation was like when I told him I was going to get my first tattoo. That was... Uh, that, that was a good one. No, but so when we, when we think about pessimism and optimism, I think there's some of us are a mixture of both. At times it changes in our lives given the circumstances. But really both of those things, 
they, they only offer one side of the story. And so when you think about pessimism, you don't see the possibilities. You don't see the opportunity. All you see is the negative. All you see is the bad. When you think about optimism, sometimes optimism is naive. It's like all is good and there is no bad. It doesn't really take into account the realities of the world we live in and what's going on in our life. And so I think that the Bible offers a biblical hope that is a bit different. It, it kind of merges the two a little bit almost. It looks at the things around us and says, you know what, things are not that great, but that's not the end of the story. There's something much bigger that I can hold on to that brings me through those things. And we're going to look at a story here in just a moment, uh, and I think it really paints a good picture. But going back to my grandpa, I got to watch him kind of his, his heart soften over the years. And I remember, for me, th- as I was thinking about like hope and thinking about you know pressing through the tough times, the first thing that came to my mind was I was 17 years old. It was the day I was diagnosed with Crohn's, and I came home. I came home. And my, my grandpa looks at me, and he says, this is where faith comes in. He had heard, heard what had happened. And so at that point in my life, I was 17 years old, everything was like full of possibilities, right? You know how it is being a teenager. It's like your school, no responsibility, where am I going to co- go to college, all of these things. And at that moment, it was like I was introduced to the, the fragility of life for the first time. And so, given a, a, a bad diagnosis, he kind of helped plant a foundation for how I would view, even today, how I would view how I handled those negative circumstances. And that was a beautiful moment for me. It, it was, it was life-changing. So, the, the first point that I want to make, um, well, not, there's a lot of points. Um, but this hope is something we have to contend for. It's not just a personality test that says I'm a glass half full person or empty. You have to work for this type of hope. And I'm not talking about works-based salvation. I'm talking about cultivating something. And that's the title of this message is is cultivating hope. And so the very first main point I have for you, we're going to revisit this, is what we hope for determines what we live for. And if you think about your life and how you're living it, the things you're seeking after, really it points back to what your hope is in. And that could be a good thing, it could be a bad thing. But what we hope for, what we put our hope in, determines how we live. It determines the choices that we make or don't make. If you have your your Bibles with you, flip over to, to the book of Isaiah chapter 9, we're going to be reading the the first seven verses within uh, this chapter, and we're going to kind of break it apart piece by piece. Everybody there? Are we good? It's on the screen, too. We'll have it there if you don't have it, uh, your your Bible. Chapter 9, verse 1, Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her.
by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles. So that's crystal clear right from the get-go, right? It's like, what in the world are we diving into here? There's these cities and strange names and everything else. So just a little bit of backstory. Everyone's probably heard this a hundred times, but in the Old Testament, you see a, a roller coaster, right? You see God's people being called in the Old Covenant that if they would follow Him, if they would obey, they'd be blessed. If they did not obey, they'd be cursed. And this is a really negative time in their history. And so Isaiah is here, and, and all the prophets, for that matter, they're called into those times to warn the people, to say, hey, this is what's going on, this is the direction we're heading, if you people don't turn to God. And so Isaiah is referring to a particular event. You can go back and read it. I think it's 2 Kings chapter 15 is the actual like story. But basically this is an area in Galilee, Zebulun and Naphtali. And the big bad wolf of that day was Assyria. And that, that place, those places had been taken captive. Now when we read these stories, it's really for, easy for us to think like fairy tale, right? These were real people. In a real day, can you imagine someone coming into this area and completely taking over everything? Families divided, people killed, under heavy, heavy oppression. This is a real negative time. And so that's kind of where we are. Now, verse 2, we kind of switch gears just a little bit. It says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them has sh a light has shined. And so what we see here is this really negative circumstance, but yet Isaiah is, is all of a sudden catching a glimpse of something that, that produces hope. And a point I want to make to you is that biblical hope isn't governed by our circumstances. Okay? Because it's anchored in God's character. It's not to say that your circumstances don't matter because they do, but it's that the hope isn't found in the circumstances. Whether you're having a good season in life or a bad season in life, that doesn't matter. That's not the source. That's not the fuel from which your hope should come. It's from God. It's from His power. And that's what Isaiah is doing here. He says, listen, we're in this dark time of oppression and captivity, but, but that's not the end of the story. Those things don't have the last say. There's going to be a time when there's going to be light. Now, let's keep reading here. Verse 3 says, You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. So again, we're going from darkness, distress, captivity, oppression, into now joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. Anybody ever grown a garden in here? A few? I remember, I still remember like the way my fingers felt, like after breaking beans with Mama on the porch. You know what I'm saying? 
But, but we see this imagery here, and this is going to continue throughout the rest of the message. And I'm a visual person, so I hope you are too, and I hope you catch this. But when you think about harvest, there's a, there's a season for it. Like harvest is not just you go pick fruit. Harvest starts with planting. It starts with digging up ground. It's tending to things. And so really what harvest is, is it's the fulfillment of things that were waited for, things that were worked for. And so you see this picture here that these people will reap the harvest of what they're, what, again, what they're hoping for. And so in this darkness, Isaiah is casting this vision, this vision of hope. Now there's a, um, I think I got it up there, there's a song, if, if, I were to, if I were to have to pick like my top song of the decade, <laughs> like for me, this, this may be a, a top runner. It's called Seasons by Hillsong Worship, and I just want to read it because I love the lyrics and it goes with what we're saying. I can see the promise. I can see the future. You're the God of seasons, and I'm just in the winter. If all I know of harvest is, is that it's worth my patience, then if you're not done working, God, I'm not done waiting. And so we see this beautiful picture of God doing something, and that's what we're pointing to here. But there's a, a season that comes along with that. I'm going to jump around to a couple different verses. Um, this one comes from 1 Peter 1.13. This verse is interesting because uh, if, I've got a study Bible, and, and it, it's kind of cool because it gives you like the themes and kind of stuff of the Bible and, you know, time frames and this and that. And the main theme of 1 Peter is actually kind of bringing hope to a suffering people. And so it kind of goes along with what we're talking about here. But it says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. I think, I'm, I think we need to make a t-shirt here that just says, gird your loins. <laughs> that, that'd be great. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, with loins... That was the area of the body that they believed the, the reproductive system to be in, right? And then also they wore like the robes, and so when they'd like get ready for action, they'd have to like pull them up, you know, gird them, to gird the loins. I got a, I got a demonstration for you. I almost wore a, wore a loin cloth to demonstrate that, but I... Brenda wouldn't have it. So. You're not teenagers, and I understand. Well, some of you are teenagers. I saw this when I was a teenager, and, and it's, I really like it. You may think it's corny, but I don't care. It's great. This is a PVC pipe that represents your mind. And I have some ping pong balls that represent seeds. Orange is going to be a bad seed, and white's going to represent the good seed. Now, I went ahead and used some Remington gun oil to, to make sure that these things don't get sucked up in there. I've, if you use Remington gun oil in your Sunday morning sermon demonstration, you may be a redneck. <laughs> That's a free one, Jeff Foxworthy. Um, <laughs> now, so here's what happens. We go through life. And things happen to us whether we choose, choose them or not. And then also there's things that we choose to. We feed ourselves daily. And I'm not talking about food. 
from the music that we listen to, from the shows that we watch, the things that we read, the lies that people tell us. And what happens is, as you can see what I'm doing here, is I'm filling this up. And your mind starts to fill up with all of these lies. Right? And so the reality is this. What you plant is what you're going to reap. And some people just need to hear that. There's some folks that are planting some garbage as seeds. And listen, ask any teacher here. Our young people today, there is a very clear agenda of what's going on in the world. And the enemy is behind it. And there's some bad seed that's being planted. And it fills our mind. And so i got a couple points I want to make. One, the seeds that you plant will determine the fruits that you harvest. So if you're on top of the things that are just fed to us in our day-in-day life, whether it be TV commercials or whatever else, and plus if you're intentionally putting some bad things in there, your mind's full of garbage. How can you expect to hope if your mind isn't clear and girded up and set on the things of God? And so what we need to do is we need to start filling our mind with some good stuff. Like Clay said, oh, here we go, it's getting a little, there we go. We need to to read our Bibles. We need to spend time in prayer. Join a small group. Be involved in church. And so as we do that, what happens, oh, that was perfect timing. I didn't plan that. I thought I still had a few to go. But as you see that, as you put good seed in to your mind, as you're girding the loins of your mind, all of a sudden, rather than there being a reproduction of bad and you bearing a fruit of bad, all of a sudden you get some good stuff in there. And here's the thing, too. I don't know if you noticed this, but I put about five or six of the bad seeds And it took several of the other ones to really push out some lies, right? This is a process. Going back to harvest, going back to to planting a garden, whatever the case is when you think of that, it, it, it takes time. I know working through my own life and my own battles, a lot of things, it's like, I've said this before, but it's just like you're an onion. And, and the Lord is just like kind of pulling back layers upon layers, and it, and, and it takes time to get through those things. But it's totally worth it. The second thing I want to say there is hope is cultivated when your mind keeps fo- excuse me, focus on God's promises, power, and presence. So I'll say it again. We must stay focused on God's promises. It's impossible for us to move forward and to expect anything. You know, we're talking about hope. If you look up like the Google definition, I think it is, it's like what you expect or desire to happen. How can we expect anything good or desire anything good if we're not focused on the Lord and we don't, we don't even know what he, he says about us? We don't know our identity. And so dive in there and figure out, read, 
and see what he says about you. See what he says about your circumstances. Spend time with him in his presence. And he's the God of all power. He created everything in a breath. And our power comes from him. Let's keep reading a little bit. We're in verse 4 there. So we've seen, some, uh, we've seen the light break through in verse, verse 2 and 3. We see joy multiplied, and here's the reason why. For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of the oppressor as the, in the day of Midian, for every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. I figured that since Walmart had already started putting Christmas decorations out, I could go ahead and skip Halloween and Thanksgiving and jump straight to some Christmas scriptures. That's a very popular one there. For unto us a child is born. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom. To order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So I want to look at, especially here, again, Isaiah is, is laying out this, it's just a beautiful image of really victory. And it's what we're going to find in Jesus here in just a moment. But I want to look at a couple of characteristics about God. I think I got a little, little slide up there. So wonderful counselor. Now when you think of counselor, you usually think of you know, school counselor or whatever. You go and you talk to someone and you sit on a couch and yada, yada, yada. But the word here, it's more of a, a, more of a meaning of, of a leadership and strategy. Almost like a, a military kind of strategy or guide. It's that God is, is kind of making a way, and His strategy He has put in place. His design is best. It also shows you the character of Him being God, creator of all things. He is our hero. He is the Savior of the world. He conquered and defeated sin, death, hell, and the grave. Amen? And then it goes on to show His, his fatherly care for us. That word everlasting, I love how, uh, again, my study Bible put it in a way where it said that He is everywhere present. He is always with us. So it, it shows His fatherly care. And then Prince of Peace, and the word there is shalom, and it's so much more than just like, you know, when we think of peace, we think of just like no conflict. But it's just, it's, in, it's completeness altogether. It's our well-being, it's our relationships, our identity, our community, everything is at peace. It's exactly the way it should. And so here we see these beautiful characteristics of God. And again, biblical hope has little to do with our circumstances because it is anchored in the character of God. And again, just, just settle on that for a second. Our hope is not governed by our circumstances, but it's in his character, the character that we just read about. He's a mighty God, and he's a wonderful father. 
In Hebrews chapter 6, 19 and 20, it says this. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner is entered for us, even Jesus having, having become the high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And so we see here this imagery of an anchor. Now what's interesting about an anchor is that really, you know, you think about a ship, you think about the anchor and the storms, and it holds true. It provides stability, it provides security, it provides safety. And what's interesting is it provides those things in the middle of the storm. And a lot of times in life, we are the, the, the false hopes that we have, the false hopes that we're seeking after, this, these are the things that we're trying to find, isn't it? Like with our jobs, with our money, with our relationships, all those things in life, we're looking for safety, we're looking for meaning, we're looking for purpose, we're looking for salvation, we're looking for security, and they are only found, I've tried just about everything there is to try, and the only true hope that I've found is in God and His character and what He says. And so an anchor is only as good as that to which it's fastened to. If you have an anchor thrown down and there's nothing to hook it to, then you're just destroyed. But our anchor is God, and we can trust Him. And I hope that this imagery kind of paints a, a beautiful picture for you. Well, she's trying to talk to me. We're going to switch gears here just a little bit. If you want to flip over to Matthew chapter 4, I think this is where, this is where the whole thing gets really, really interesting and is just mind-blowing to me. In Matthew chapter 4, we're going to read um, a couple of verses here, starting in verse 12. Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaac, Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the, the region and the shadow of death, light has dawned. 700 years after Isaiah established, established this vision about a light and a hope to come, 700 years later, Jesus steps into the exact same regions that were once taken captive, that once set in darkness, and He turns the light on. In these areas that were completely broken and hopeless, He says, this is the place that's going to become the staging ground for hope itself. Literally, Jesus is hope. His birth brought about hope. And he, it, it's, do you see the, the picture there? The same story that Isaiah is talking about, the same region that was under oppression and darkness, 
700 years later, Jesus steps into those things and says, hope is here now. And if you don't hear anything else I say, hear this. As I prayed this week, I have felt the Lord just impressing so much. This is a story of redemption. There are some of you sitting here right now under the sound of my voice, and you are in lands of Zebulun and Naphtali. You are under oppression. You are sitting in darkness. You're being held captive. Maybe it's sin in your life. Maybe it's something that you, it's out of your control. Maybe it's hurt. Maybe it's pain. And Jesus is saying to you right now this morning, I want to step into that, and that's going to be the staging ground for hope. Are you hearing this this morning? You don't have to live in captivity. The, word, the Lord gave me a word several months ago on a Wednesday night, and the word was, a lot of people know me as Savior, but not as their Redeemer. And the point is, we say a prayer, we go to church, but we have all this stuff inside of us that we've not dealt with. Like Caitlin sharing this morning, you know, things that she felt led to this week to, to, to reach out to her dad. And I have areas in my life, and it's been a, a process of growing through those. And each and every one of us, we have those dark spots. We have wounds from our past, whether it's sins that we've committed or sins that's been committed against us. But we just don't deal with them. It's just like we're content with just being bound up. And that's what I see a lot of times and. Man, this is, this is real stuff. I, a lot of people are just going through the motions of life. Even as a Christian, it's just like, ah, I'm going to go to church on Sunday, go back to work tomorrow. On Tuesday, i got a kid's ball game practice. On Wednesday, drop my kid off at youth. Or, and, you, and I don't mean to be negative here, but I'm being real. It's just we're complacent. And what we need to do is go into battle. And this hurts, man. When, when you start praying into this, and we've done some of this in small groups, right, when we talked about identity. When you begin to say, Lord, in the dark areas of my life, shine your light, guess what? He will. And when light reveals things, it's ugly and it's nasty and it hurts and you don't want to deal with it. But I promise you there's redemption in that. There's healing in in that there's restoration in that and now it's been 2,000 years since Jesus and we're talking about a guy named Isaiah who caught a glimpse of something and he never experienced it you see what I'm saying those people that he said light has come they never experienced it maybe in measures and then even in in the here and now we we stand after Jesus, right? Like we have him to hold on to. Like he came and fulfilled everything in terms of going to the cross for us. But there's still things that aren't fulfilled in our life. You know, Clay talks about the already but not yet. That's the time that we're in here. And so I really feel like Jesus is wanting to kind of breathe on that. And so as you're sitting here this morning, don't let this just be another Sunday morning service, service with a message and a few laughs, and a couple good points that you write in your book, and you, you know, whatever. Let this take root. 
Let Jesus do some real work this morning in your life so that you can walk in freedom. Amen? Amen. You guys with me? I got to... I kind of raised my voice a little bit now. I kind of settle back down. I got a picture I want to show you. Isn't that pretty? I'm, I'm going somewhere with this, I promise. Just stick with me. That, uh, that fellow there on the right is Mr. John Andrew back there. And him and I went out to Wyoming this past year and uh, in search for elk. <laughs> and I took this picture up on top of a, a ridge... And um, there's a couple things I want to point out. So one, you see that mountain in the back? It's a beautiful mountain. And you may think to yourself, we can walk over there in a couple hours. But you can't. <laughs> I promise. Everything is, that, here's the conclusion of our Wyoming trip. Everything is bigger, farther, and steeper than you think it is. And so that very evening, you can't see it. I wish I had a pointer. I need to bring those back in style. There's a little patch of grass about midway up on that mountain, and John and I are sitting there with binoculars, and we see two elk walk out, and we're like, there's elk here. We did it. You know. Uh, and so that kind of it, it set the stage. It gave us a, a, a direction in which we would go. Now, little did we know it was going to be a much more difficult process to get there. So the next morning, after a wonderful night's sleep, uh, you know, on that ridge there, there's, there's dips and there's valleys, there's a drainage. Uh, we chased a few elk. Um, we ran out of water. We had to turn around. We had to leave. We ended up going to another spot in which we hiked a bunch more. We nearly went insane. i got to share this story just because it's good. I was sitting, I was laying, you don't have any service out there, you're, you're one with yourself and just you and your thoughts and the Lord, and matter of fact, that's where a lot of this stuff is actually birthed, the Lord really uses it, it's wonderful, but I was laying there kind of, you know, during the day just waiting, and I look over behind me, and John is laying, hope it's okay I share this, John, he's laying on his back with his finger up in the air like this, and I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm trying to get a bird to land on my finger. He said, if you hadn't said anything, I was this close. <laughs> a few days later, you can't see it, but out this drainage on the back side, the left side of this mountain, we hiked seven miles into a place, and long story short, we didn't end up getting an elk, but we had the most wonderful, magical three days of elk hunting you can imagine. The last night we were there, we were laying in our tents and literally elk bugling within like 100 yards of our tent. It was Absolutely wonderful. What's the point of all this? With Isaiah, you see him like this image, and he's standing in this place, and he sees very clearly what's in front of him. He sees the struggle. He sees the drainage, right? He sees what he's going to have to go through. But out in the distance, he doesn't know how far, really, and he doesn't know exactly how long it's going to take. But he catches this hope, and he catches this vision of a light to come for a child to come. And in our own lives, there's a lot of things that take place. The course, matter of fact, even in our kids' church, the Lord's breathing on this, and even in our kids' church, I was printing out materials for them this week, and they have a little, um, one of those zigzag color mazes things, and, and it leads to hope at the end. 
And that's kind of our, like our life, isn't it? It's just like a, we never know what's going to happen. We never know what we're going to have to go through. We never know the process by which we're going to get to the destination that we're looking for. You, are you guys hearing me? You hearing what I'm saying? And so it's not just this clear cut, I'm here, that's good there, I'm going to walk straight to it. Sometimes it's much, much more. The point here I want to make with this is that we can trust in the character of God. So again, our hope is anchored in the character of God, and in that, we can trust it. And we have this beauty, this, this book here has stood the test of time. It's changed lives. It's alive and active. And we see a guy write something that 700 years later Jesus fulfilled. To me, that's just like validation. All the more that his promises are true. And so we can trust his timing and his strategy. In our human nature, we think we know what's best. We think that we have it all figured out, and we think we know exactly how our life ought to play out. But that's not the case, and sometimes we have to humble ourselves and realize that. I don't know about you, but there's things in life that's not happened that I wanted to happen. And now, looking back on it, I'm like, Lord, thank you so much that that didn't happen the way it did, or in the timing that it was supposed to. So again, we can trust his character, and we can trust his timing. If we want to come to the music, we can go ahead and I'm going to be closing things down. Jesus came and revealed this upside-down kingdom. He didn't come in the way in which we expected him to. And that's what you see, they wrestle with this all throughout Scripture. He didn't come and establish this earthly rule and reign. He came as a suffering servant. And he died on a cross. And in death we find life. And there's this like unique paradox with all of that. And it's really, really interesting. And it's, and it's a, a, a beautiful, beautiful thing. And he came and he defeated the very thing that plants those, if you remember back to my little demonstration, the accuser, the evil one, the enemy, is here and he's, he's active. And he's planting in our hearts and in our minds lies and accusations. And it's about who we are. It's about who God is. It's about the very things that we hold dear and important to our lives. And he fills us full of, that, of those things. And Jesus came to defeat that on the cross. Now, while we're in this waiting period, here's what I feel like the Lord is speaking to us in particular. I feel like He wants us to be a people of vision. Just like Isaiah, in the middle of this darkness, he comes in and he gives his people hope. He gives people guardrails. He gives them direction. He gives them a place to look to, a hope to look forward to. And I think... The very same thing in the here and now, that's what Jesus is calling us to, to be a people of vision. And so I'll ask you these questions and just kind of think on them. What do you vision for, for your life? What do you envision? What are you desiring to happen? What do you want to happen? What do you hope happens? 
not only in your, your own personal life, but with your, your family and for your kids. Even this church, what do we desire as a church? And I think, unfortunately, a lot of times we can lose vision and we become complacent. We have no passion. Again, we just go through the motions of life. We're super busy and all that stuff, and we just kind of... And so I want this morning, God wants to give you a a brand new vision. Because here's the thing with it. Proverbs 29, 18 says this. Where there is no vision, the people perish. If you don't have any vision for your life, it's going to be really hard to move forward. It's going to be really hard for you to have any hope. When we have vision, it forces us to act a certain way. Again, and this is the last point, the first point I made, but it's the last point I want to make too. And that is what we hope for determines what we live for. Even, I think when I was thinking about this, I thought about my son, Everett. And even before they were born, my wife and I were praying for our kids. When he was in his mama's womb, I was praying for him. And and, and our biggest prayer for him has been, and Eliza, to, to be people of God, to love the Lord, to love people. And we have structured our life in a way that tries to cultivate that. And so now he's seven years old. And just for example, before I had my surgery a couple weeks ago, we were in a small group and they were praying over me. I had my eyes closed like this. And, and all of a sudden I felt a hand right here. And I just thought it was someone else praying for me. And then when we got done, Everett had come in in the middle of the prayer and he came up and laid his hand on me. When people are, are sick or going through something, they, they know to pray for people. Right? And we do Bible stories at bedtime and you know, do all that. Now, I'm not saying any of that to brag or anything like that. I mean, this is just simple stuff, and we're a complete mess. <laughs> you come to our home, matter of fact, Clay and On are probably like, they live like right next to us, and like, geez, what's going on over there? <laughs> Screaming and yelling and everything else. But I had this vision, we have this vision for our kids, and it has structured the way we live. So there's things that we do in our home, and there's things that we don't do in our home because we want to see a desired outcome, right? This morning, I want, I want us to pray together. And again, I don't know how I don't I don't know how to get across really what's what's in here. It's it's really hard for me to communicate that I want you to have hope in God that is stable, that transcends time or our life or our circumstances. I want you to have vision for yourself and for your family in this life. And I want you to find security in that. And so as we pray, let's seek God. These altars should be flooded with people who are seeking hope and vision from God. This changes everything. I can't imagine living a life without a hope to look forward to, just like in that image. 
something I was chasing, and a hope that was secure, that wasn't based on my circumstances, but was rooted and grounded and anchored in God. I want you to experience that this morning. But the thing is, I can't experience it for you. I have experienced it in measures in my life in multiple areas. And I want you to experience it too, but I can't do it for you. Like Clay said, it's, it's time that we become serious about it and go after God. We shouldn't be worried about how the full the Mexican is going to be in a few minutes and get out of here as soon as we get done praying. I mean, that's funny, but am I serious? I mean, it's the truth. It's like, let's sneak out the back real quick so we get to Wendy's. You know? No! God is in this place and wants to change your life this morning. But it requires you going after it just a little bit. And inviting Him into those areas of your life. So again, I don't mean, you know, I, I hope you, you feel the, the passion. I just want you to experience it. So let's, let's go to God in prayer this morning. Bow your heads, and, and again, as we pray, these altars are open. Of course, it's not required. You don't have to come to the altar. You can pray at your seat. But there's people up here that are here to pray for you. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus this morning, that's first and foremost. That's where this journey starts. And so I pray that you would think about that. You, we need Him. He is our salvation. He came and He died for you on the cross so that you could have life. And so if you don't have a relationship with God this morning, I invite you into that. And for the, for, for the rest of us, Pray into the, the sources that bring you hope. Maybe you need to evaluate and, and repent of some things. Maybe you need to reestablish a fresh vision this morning. Think about those areas I talked about, those areas of Zebulun and Naphtali, so to speak, in your own life, that where there's darkness and oppression and captivity. And again, I just want to remind you that Jesus wants to step into that this morning and bring light and bring hope. And so if we could, let's, let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I'm, I'm so thankful for who you are, God. Sometimes it's, it's so hard to fully comprehend and even explain what you are and who you are and, and all that you offer, God. You are, just like your, your characteristics that we read about, you are, you are mighty. God, you are our heavenly Father. You bring us peace. God, we trust your strategy, your timing. There's things that we don't understand. There's things that we go through in this broken world that, God, you're weaving together all of those things, the good and the bad. You're using it for your glory and for our good. And I'm so thankful for that this morning. I'm so thankful for the fact that we can put our hope in you and you're not shaken. You stand on your own. And despite our circumstances and our pains, God, we don't have to sit in darkness. God, I pray that, 
that we can get a fresh vision this morning of who we are and who you are and what you want to do in our own lives, in our community, in this church. And I pray that that vision would give us direction on the steps that we need to take moving forward, the decisions that we need to make. Help it to structure our lives in a new way. Help us to be people who are more than just talkers. That we wouldn't just talk about these things. That we would do them. That we would experience them. That we would be changed. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit fall right now on every single person in this place. That they would be filled up. That things would be illuminated. Like Force said last week, God, the dark areas would receive light. And I pray healing over those. Let us leave here this morning different. Let us leave here changed. Let us leave here, like Isaiah said, with joy. God, because the light has come. Overwhelming joy. Not because of, of anything but other than who you are and what you've done for us. And you're faithful, God. We can trust you. We can trust your promises. And again, I just pray special blessings over each person here, over each family here, God, that you would heal, that you would deliver, that you would set free, that you would lead, that you would guide. Where there's hopelessness, God, there would be hope. God, let them feel your love like they have never experienced in their life. Let it become real. Let it bear fruit this morning. God, we love you so much. We thank you so much. And let us just worship you for a little while longer. In Jesus' name, amen.